This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Widmer here, along with not the one and only Brandon Swanee Swanson, but I am joined with Sean Anderson. I don't know what to say here. He says, hey, hey, hey. That's usually what he says. Hola, mi amo Sean. (laughs) Hola, mi amo Sean. But Sean doing a gentleman's job today, filling in for Brandon Swanee Swanson. He called me up and he's like, you know what? We we originally were like, hey, we're going to record at 7. Then he goes, oh, I have meetings for work, 7.30. All right, 8 o'clock. And then eventually he's like, hey, just see if Sean can do it because I don't know when I'm going to get out of these meetings. And I said, I gotcha. And Sean was there. Like a good neighbor, Sean was there to help us out. No bueno, no. No bueno, no good, Sean. No no good, but we got a jam-packed show. I'm glad Sean's actually on for this one because we're talking double NBA draft here on the Primetime Podcast. Last week we talked about Mo Bamba. You guys can check that one out. Today we're talking about prospects, who needs the best performance in the Combine coming up this week. The 16th is when that starts. We're also going to look at wing players. Who are the best wings outside of Michael Porter Jr. Then we're going to end the show looking at some Scott Frost. Can he turn around the Nebraska Cornhuskers in his first season in 2018? But before we start, a little bit of housekeeping. Number one, if you want to be like any of our numerous number of patrons, and thank you to our patrons out there who support the show each and every month, go ahead and check out patreon.com. You can be in on our poll question for new video each month. You can get our exclusive Patreon podcast. You can either join a podcast too. We have several different tiers for you to help support the channel. So check that link down below in the description. You can check out also our store to get yourself an MVP t-shirt. That is also in the description. Mostvalopodcast.com is where you get everything for MVP each and every day. And last but not least, if you're on iTunes, if you're on Apple Podcasts, go give the Primetime Podcast and all of the podcasts at MVP a five-star rating and type in a little something about what you like about the podcast. Because right now for the Primetime Podcast, we're a four out of five, which is still good. But we still got that one rating that says all we talk about is SEC, where we're not talking SEC at all today. So we need more Good rating so people know that we don't just talk about the SEC and we talk about numerous things, both college basketball and college football. But, Sean, mm-hmm. let's jump right into it. Let's do it. We're looking at NBA draft. We're going to look at the Combine first. Combine starts May 16th, runs all the way through the 21st. Kind of going to talk about who needs the best performance next week at the Combine. I'll let you start first. Who's your first guy who needs a good performance? Well, well a great performance, I, I'll say. I think it's clear for everybody that's watching this, whether it's the first mm-hmm. time they're hearing about the NBA draft, <laughs> whether it's the first time they're ever watching one of our podcasts, one mm-hmm. of our segments, it's clearly Michael Porter Jr. Yep. This was the number one high school prospect coming into the year of college basketball, had a ton of hype, and then the first game against Iowa State, he played two minutes, made one shot, and then left, went to the bench with a back injury and didn't return until the uh, – it was the, I think it was the second game of Missouri's SEC tournament run. Mm-hmm. Uh, came in, didn't look too great. Played against Florida State in the NCAA tournament, didn't look too great. Missouri looked like a different team. It looked like they were trying to run through Porter. He said he was only sixty five percent healthy. Still try to test it anyways. He hurt his draft stock not only from being injured but also coming back and showing what he was like injured at sixty five percent. He needs to come out and have a fantastic prospect. Uh, he needs to come out and have a fantastic combine. Mm-hmm. He needs to look fluid. 
He needs to look quick. He needs to look agile. He needs to show the healthy and great Michael Porter that we thought he was in high school. Well, and that's easy. I served you the softball with mm-hmm. that one. Like well, everyone's going to get the easy one out of the way. Everyone's going to come into this and go, Michael Porter Jr., he's the one. And like the reason being is the injury is why he's the easy one. And really, I could ask you, will he, won't he? We don't know what we're going to see at the combine for Michael Porter Jr., but I think it's just a unanimous, hey, he's the one, get him out of the way, he's the one that needs the best kind of performance at the combine. Two guys that I'm kind of thinking about, one could be a, he'll definitely be a top 10 pick, could be a top 5 pick in the NBA draft, Mm. and then another one who is probably a second round pick right now, but at one time we all had in our first round the first one for me as easy as Mo Bamba. I want to see, yeah, I've already seen how you changed your shot a little bit. I've seen you on interviews like the jump, saw you drain nine straight threes in a practice. But I want to see you at the combine when we get to the drills that they run, when we get to the shooting drills, we get to kind of see them perform. I want to see if you can take what you're adapting on your own and do that when someone's trying to guard you and try to be in your face. Mm -hmm. The other guy just to see what we're going to get from him, if anything, is Hamadou Diallo. Because he's a guy, for me, we had him in the lottery about middle of the draft, like 1.0, 2.0 of our mock draft, and then he fell out because, like, you know what, he's way too raw. Well, and the the crazy thing about Hamadou was he was a high school player last year Mm -hmm. and was expected to join the NBA. He even was at the Combine last year. Then he ended up pulling out because of the new rules that they do have, and then Mm -hmm. he went to Kentucky. We saw his flaws at Kentucky, that he couldn't play basketball. I mean, he Mm -hmm. doesn't have a ton of basketball skills. He's as raw as they come. He's a freakish athlete. And last year at the Combine, he I think he had the, he had the highest uh, vertical leap mm-hmm. uh, with 44 and a half inches, uh, ran a super quick uh, agility time at 10.8 seconds. His shuttle run was super quick, 2.7 times. Uh, his three-quarter sprint was 3.11. Standing vert was three, uh, 34 and a half. I mean, this kid is a great athlete. But we saw at Kentucky that he wasn't a great basketball player. Do you think he's going to have similar, like, where, oh, he's the best jump, the best well, shuttle, the best agility drill? Well, he wasn't the best. He wasn't the best in the the mm-hmm. agility and shuttle, um, but he was the best in, in the vertical yeah. by far. He had uh, two and a half inches over Frank Jackson from Duke mm-hmm. um, last year. I don't—I think the thing with, with Hamadou is he needs to have— a very similar performance in the combine because mm-hmm. now teams saw the flaws that he has in his basketball game, mm-hmm. and now if he doesn't live up to the same athlete that he was, now he's screwed and he's definitely in the second round. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. You know, we haven't put him in our first round for a mock yeah. draft either. But if he doesn't come out and have a fantastic combine, he might be looking at maybe late second round at mm-hmm. that because a team's going to need to work on him very. Hard and they need to really put a ton of time and effort to get him to become a great basketball player because, again, he's very raw right now. Well, and that's just it. The reason why I bring both those up is Mo Bamba's the one where it's like, hey, you know what? We actually know what we're getting from you. Yeah, do we have to work on a few things? Kind of Mm -hmm. get the wrench in there, fine tune some stuff. Yeah, but where Hamadou, it's basically like, I've got this mold of clay that looks like nothing. And I have to shape it, put it in the heater, get it to like harden and then mm-hmm. chip away at stuff. And really it's, I can get you to be whatever I want you to be, but 
will I be able to take this mold of clay and mold it into what I want for my team? Yeah, and he's got a fairly decent stroke. I mean, just looking at it, like, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the basics are there. He is, I mean, he's not, like, super wide on his feet. He comes up pretty straight and, and, and narrow. Is, I think his, his elbow's decently, like, you know, where it should be. Like, mm-hmm. he's got, his, his form isn't terrible is what I'm trying to say. But, again, it's just it's not, not like going in. He doesn't, he doesn't have a touch. He doesn't have, mm-hmm. you know, great handles. Like, he needs to, like... If he doesn't come out and have a ridiculous combine where he comes out and, you know, again, lights it up like he did last year showing mm-hmm. his athleticism, he's going to be absolutely screwed. So I think that one fits. The one thing with Bamba, though, I know you threw him out there, but I don't think he's going to be able to change people's minds, really, mm-hmm. because, again, this is going to be strictly on the basketball court. I know you're talking about, you know, drills when they when they uh, have them, you know, go 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 up against one another, you know. Uh, to me, more importantly, it's like the, well, but the four on fours, the five on fives is what I, think, I want to see Bamba perform well in. I think where Bamba's going to race his draft stock is not going to be at the combine. I think it's mm-hmm. going to be solely in uh, uh, solo workouts. Okay. Like, remember when we saw Jamal Murray hit, yeah. like, 93 of 100 threes with the Celtics mm-hmm. or something like that? If he g- goes into, uh, str- you know, certain teams' workouts mm-hmm. and have fantastic workouts, that's where he's going to raise his his ability yeah. because I don't think he's going to come out and people are going to be like, whoa, look at this freakish kid with a 7'6 mm-hmm. wingspan. I feel like we know what we're going to get from Mbaba. He's going to have a, a you know fairly slow, and it's slow, but he's going to run around maybe a eleven mm-hmm. to thirteen agility uh, agility run. Uh, I don't I don't know really know um, how he can really improve his combine or how he can improve his stock from his combine because again, if he comes out and lights it up in the combine and then does terrible in uh, you know solo workouts, then that's going to screw him up. So I, I just think that Mbaba. He's not going to really jump his 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 status too much because people still see what he is, mm-hmm. and it's really that physical. He's got you know a, a decent amount of aggression. He's got the base of a shot, um, and, and he's got a okay touch around the rim. Uh, but again, Bamba, I don't think he's going to you know crazily jump up the boards. And here's the other thing I'm kind of thinking is, and this is first round talent as well. At first, I mm-hmm. was like, you know what? To me. We've always had out of the point guards. Trey Young has always been the top-ranked point guard in most of our mock drafts, followed by Colin Sexton, followed by Shea Gilgis. Yeah. And that kind of space between Sexton and Gilgis is closer than the space between um, Sexton and Young. In, in All, most people's in mind. Most I just want to clarify that, I'm just saying like mock draft yeah, where, where, where we've had them go. Mm-hmm. However, all three are going to be at the Combine. In your mind, to me, I'm looking more of this on the Shea, Colin, Sexton side because I don't think that there's anything Colin Sexton can do at the Combine or if there's anything Trey Young can't do at the Combine that's going to make people go, man, we got to take Colin Sexton above Trey Young. But could Shea Gilgis show some people, hey, maybe if we're thinking Colin Sexton, maybe we've got to give this kid Shea Gilgis a little bit of a look and could he kind of shorten the gap between him well, I, and Colin Sexton. I think if people are looking at Colin Sexton, they're looking mm-hmm. at point guards, so they've already scouted Shea Gilgis. I yeah. don't think it's something where they're now they're going to be like, oh, who the hell is this kid? I didn't well, know no, not like who the hell he is he, but, there, but like, could he do anything at the combine to make that gap shorten and get them, bring them closer together, basically? If he shows that they're similar athletically, which mm-hmm. I don't think they are, I think Colin Sexton's the most athletic point guard in this draft. In this draft. Um, I, I think if Shea is somehow able, if maybe Count Sexton has a bad combine, maybe Shea is uh, a great athlete um, and will kill it at these workouts. Mm-hmm. Um, if Shea shows that he's a similar athlete and then in the five on five at least has a very similar showing to Count Sexton, I think that that could put Shea above Count Sexton to most teams because he's, again, longer, 
uh, if he's longer, if he's a similar athlete, that length's going to be uh, obviously uh, swayed in the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to that's obviously going to help him you know move above Colin Sexton because again having a six six point guard like that who is as quick as Colin Sexton has you know uh, similar ver- uh, jumping abilities and also Shea Gill just is slightly a better defender in my mind than Colin Sexton. I think that might have the ability to, you know, at least have Shea jump over Colin Sexton in some people's mind. I, again, I th- don't think Trey Young is going to do anything that makes people go, wow, because he already did that on the court. Like, what he did at Oklahoma is already su- supplanted them in mm-hmm. most people's mind as the number one point guard. Um, Colin Sexton, you know, he had a really great end of the season. We did in the SEC tournament. Um, also had a pretty decent showing in the NCAA tournament. Um, Shea, I think, again, you know, he ended the, the, the year hot, too. Um if he's able to just show that he's athletically on the same level as Colin Sexton, explosive-wise, vertical, and, and, and quickness-wise, then maybe that can help him move up just because of his size. Well, and the thing that I'm kind of thinking about when it comes to Sexton and Shea Gilgis, first off, I'd agree with you that Shea Gilgis is a little bit better than Colin Sexton defensively, only on, and this is per 36 minutes, but when you look at their block steal stats, Colin Sexton point one in blocks, 1.0 in steals, where Shea Gilgis is .5 in blocks, and then 1.8 for steals. So, I mean, the blocks are kind of similar. It's still less than one, but he's averaging well, almost an entire steal per 36. I mean, you can't base that. You can't Sexton. base defense strictly off those stats. No, but I'm just saying, like, if I had to give an edge to either of them, I would give the edge defensively to Shea Gilgis. I well, I would I would do that just because again mm-hmm. of his wingspan, his his ability to move. I mean, he's six six also. His ability to move laterally as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's the six, thing. Six compared to six two. And again, you can't really use defensive stats to mm-hmm. say, "Oh, these guys are better point." Uh, you know, defender just because of Kentucky had better players. Kentucky has coach True. John Calipari, who again is just a great all around college coach. I mean, he's he's playing in a better system. He's playing with better players. That's going to help him jump lanes, take more chances. You know, if, it's if, like, if someone's going down low on the block, he's able to take more shots, take more chances, and go down and block shots. Jake Gilgis. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do still think he is a better defender, though. Um, Count Sexton. I mean, he wasn't great. Staying in front of defenders, where Shea Gilgis was able to really, mm-hmm. uh, 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 for most for most of the part, was able to deny penetration for most of the guys he was guarding. So I, I think Shea does have the defensive edge on him. Collins a better scorer though, but I think again it depends on where the where that mm-hmm. where the team wants to go. Um, you know, playmaking wise, I don't think they're anything miraculous. I mean, these aren't like you know Lonzo Ball type players um, in Shea and Collins Sexton. Um, so I, I think that they might be on the similar level. I think Colin might get a little bit of an edge there um, in playmaking, but I think it's really, do you want a scoring point guard then? Mm-hmm. If they're, again, similarly, similarly athletically um, at the combine, do you want a scoring point guard then in Colin Sexton, who could be probably your number one scorer possibly um, in the NBA, or do you want a guy who's going to be very well-rounded in Shea Gilgis? Well, and the thing that the other thing that I was thinking about for them is more so on the shooting, is when you look at the shooting percentages, I mean, Shea Gilgis overall, the better, and this is, I'm looking per 36, has the better field goal percentage of 48 compared to 44, better 3.40 compared to 33, better free throw percentage, 82 to 77. And the thing that I think about is, yes, he is taller. Yes, he has a greater wingspan. Because they are so close, like in mock drafts, in big boards, because I just pulled up Brandon and myself. I count Sexton 9 on our last big board. Shea Gilgis was 12, only a three-person difference between the two of them, whereas Brandon had Colin Sexton at 11, 
Shea Gilgis at 14. So again, one more person in between, but they're not too far apart. Mm-hmm. Is someone going to look at it and go, yes, Colin Sexton's a true, like, he's the better scorer, but there are skills that maybe we've even seen at the Combine and maybe he showed a little bit more of it that, hey, he's going to be able to assist. He's the better shooter. Well, and in this NBA, on, maybe quick, the better though, shooter is going to help us I, out better. They're not going to base it strictly on the combine, no, though. So, I, I mean, mean, like, if, if Colin he, Sexton goes out and hits you know every single shot, then, mm-hmm. yeah, people are going to be like, holy shit, he rose up to the occasion yeah. and didn't miss a single shot. But I think people can, again, look back on that game against Minnesota where he mm-hmm. was a three on five and scored 40 points in that game to keep him in, in The there. combine isn't the only thing they're going to look at. No, of course. I, but, I, I don't think I don't think a combine performance, though, this isn't like the, the NFL where mm-hmm. it's going to, you know, at least... Like Josh Allen throwing yeah. eighty yards down the field, that's going to get you know you moved mm-hmm. up on draft boards. Um, but it, with the NBA, I, I don't think it's going to you know really change things too much because you know maybe the speed does a little bit, but all these guys are super athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, all these guys can jump, so that's when something like Hamadou Diallo jumps two and a half inches higher than the other guy. Mm-hmm. That's what really sparks people's minds. Um, I don't think they're going to do anything too drastic that's going to make. In, in at least in my mind, that Shea's going to jump Colin Sexton. And I'm still going back and thinking, like, I don't know if Colin Sexton is a worse defender than Shea, mm-hmm. Shea Gilgis. Like, I've just, I just I can't put it together because, like, again, I, I really love what Colin did, um, and Colin didn't have a ton of help with him. So I, I, I still think that— you know, To me, the only way we're going to get an answer, and I'm using air quotes for our audio listeners to that question, is if they, let's say, five-on-five drill at the Combine— and by happenstance, we get Shea Gilgis on well, we Colin Sexton. But but even then, again, that's just like I know it's just the combine. No, but, but then we even can, then in we that situation, t- that doesn't mean that doesn't mean like one guy's better than the oh, other defensively. One guy might have just had a bad but day. The like, thing, well, and that's the thing with the combine. Like if yeah. you're going to show up, you can't have a bad day um, with the draft stock. But with if know. that situation happens, then we can take out the oh well. You know, Alabama didn't have any players besides Colin Sexton. Look at how stacked Kentucky is. We just go to, hey, how did they do one-on-one? And people will go back to that, and that could be something. To me, the big thing that I look at is the shooting, and this is also going to blend into individual team workouts. Colin Sexton is the better athlete. He is the better scorer. But in this NBA, do you want the better true scorer? Or our team's going to start to see as that we get closer to the draft. Hey, maybe we want the guy who's a little bit taller, a little bit more, uh, better wingspan, and he can put that into defense. And he's a better shooter in this new NBA where shooting is king. Well, I I don't think you should take the the, the three point percentages too much to heart. The I'm free just throw saying percentage all shooting heart. percentages. Well, again, I, I like uh, looking at again three point percentages. Mm-hmm. Shea Gill just beat him by I think seven percent. Yeah. But also Colin Sexton took I think eighty more threes than mm-hmm. than Shea Gill just was. Shea only took fifty seven threes and again was on a team that moved the ball mm-hmm. very efficiently. Was had Kevin Knox that could take uh, defenders away from him. And then also you know we we look so much to free throw percentage to be a benchmark on how these guys are going to do uh, at the three-point line in mm-hmm. the NBA. I look at Shea, again, 82% from the line, 174 attempts. Then you look at Colin Sexton, 252 attempts, 77.8. So, I mean, he had so many attempts, was consistently looked on as the guy, was probably drained for most of that part. I still think that Colin Sexton, uh, I think if we we're going to break this down, mm-hmm. Colin Sexton's a better driver and a better scorer. Yeah. Shea Gill just might have the passing edge. Mm-hmm. Um 
shooting wise, I think it might be tied right now because mm-hmm. again, you could say, oh, we'll look at three point percentage, but again, Count Sexton took way more attempts. The volume was greater. The volume's greater, and also the the pressure of of what Count Sexton had mm-hmm. to do was, was more on him. I, I think that, again, Colin Sexton has the base of a good shot on mm-hmm. him. It's nothing where it's like Josh Jackson where he was, was absolutely garbage. Defense, I will give the edge to Shea because I think he's more versatile and he's longer. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to athleticism. And in my mind, clearly Colin Sexton is the most athletic point guard. But I think Shea Gilders could probably you know end that mm-hmm. when it comes to the combine. I'll ask you this. Is there a guy at the combine who is right now in your mind a clear second-round prospect that you're like, hey, we need to see a strong showing from him to where maybe not bump him up into the first round, but hey, mm-hmm. if we see a strong showing from him, maybe he can show promise to be a steal for the team in the second round or I, a team in the second round. I'm going off my mock draft yeah, because exactly. I know some of these people have. I know some of these people have these two players. I'm going to mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'll throw three out there. Go ahead. Uh, have th- have these three guys in their first round? I see them as, as second round prospects. Mm-hmm. Two Duke guys. Okay. One Grayson Allen. If Grayson Allen comes out and shows what he was able to show for the he past can play four years into the first, maybe he might be able to play himself into the first. If he shows that he's uh, a, you know a pretty decent athlete mm-hmm. um, compared to his contemporaries, if he comes out and is shown as a leader on the floor in those five on five mm-hmm. situations, I think that could really help him because he has that maturity and people are looking. Uh, you know, teams are looking for the three and D ability. They're looking for you know scoring off the bench. They're also looking for leaders on their team. Like, look at TJ McConnell. I mean, TJ McConnell's been great for Philadelphia in the playoffs because he has that that extra edge. He has that leadership ability. So I think Grayson Allen could possibly play himself into the first round. Um, and then I will also throw in Gary Trent Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, showed the, the the basis of a, I think it was it was yeah Gary Trent uh Gary was it hold on, let me make sure uh, well the other guys probably because it was Duval it was Duval and Trent were Duval yeah I'm trying to too. think which one I'm thinking of because I, I always <laughs> I always mix the two up yeah it was Trent okay uh, I should just go with my uh, Gary Trent was uh, a great shooter go what in you college. got Sean go I, what you got always mix them up uh, Gary Trent <laughs> was a fantastic shooter 6'6 mm-hmm. um, if he comes out has uh, again you know decent showings at, at the combine shows he's a great athlete um, and, and is able to shake it off a bit in the 5-on-5 five five, I think that might be able to put him back in because again the shooting is there he, he was a deadly lights out shooter from 3 40% from 3 on 6.5 attempts per game uh, also shot about 87% from the line so I think Gary Trent could really play himself in the first round because if he's able to sh- show that he um, can play a little bit defense in the 5-on-5 five five, show is a quick athlete moving uh, vertically, laterally, laterally. I think that he could put himself in the first round. Um, and then the final guy is Raleigh Atkins, a guy that mm-hmm. was at the Combine last year. Um, some people see him as a first-rounder. I don't because I, again, not only based on this performance, but consistently throughout the season, mm-hmm. just look at that Buffalo game uh, that Arizona played. Raleigh Atkins, all those guards just absolutely got shut down by you know mid a mid-major uh, and mid-major defenders. Yeah. I mean, like that's something where you might say Buffalo was a really good team with senior leadership. That's fine. Raleigh Atkins was also a senior leader on that Arizona team, mm-hmm. so he needed to step up and, and play, and he didn't do that in that game. That's the biggest game of your season, and you went down as a four seed. Um, and again, he he did that consistently in at Arizona, where you know DeAndre Ayton and had to do most of the work. He needs to come out, have a good combine, similar numbers to what he had last year, and then also in the five-on-five, show his lockdown defensive potential and then hit some shots on the outside. So I'm going to bring up two. And the first, before I bring up my two, the thing, and this is going to be jumping ahead, because I'm going to ask you this question to end it all, was we're going to hit team interviews. Grayson Allen to me as a kid where 
yeah, he's got stuff to prove a little bit in the combine, have a good performance. But team interviews is where I think he's really got to nail it, mm-hmm. where it's like all the questions of what was going on at Duke, the kind of some people in maturity questions. Well, it's not something where it's like, oh, my God, you have to answer for this. But he's really got to me knock it and impress teams real, at interviews. Real quick with that. Mm-hmm. I think what's more dependent on I think what's more dependent for Grayson Allen is what Coach K has to say. I mean, mm-hmm. this guy is respected throughout the NBA. Former national men's basketball coach mm-hmm. has worked with so many NBA pros. If Coach K is able to say, "Hey, I give my seal of approval to Grayson Allen," then he doesn't have to worry. I don't think he really has to worry because mm-hmm. again, we see NBA players who have that extra edge, and they're super important to their mm-hmm. team. We've seen that throughout the playoffs this year. So I, I think that you know, I mean, uh, we'll use Joel Embiid. We'll use the, the, uh, pretty much all the Miami Heat. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, what's his face, uh, former Duke player uh, Justice Winslow. Yeah, you know, trying to give you know break a. JoJo's uh, glasses. I mean, like having an edge, having some toughness to him. I know some people more see it like whininess, but again, mm-hmm. being able to get under people's skins is important in the NBA. Um, so I think if at least Coach K said, you know, this kid is giving me no problems over the past four years. He was a leader on our team. I think that's more of a sign of approval than what he does in you know personal interviews. Now, if he goes in and just doesn't give a shit mm-hmm. in personal interviews, that's something else. But I think Grayson, it's more dependent on Coach K. So there, you threw out three guys. I'll throw out three guys. The yeah. first one. Tony Carr from Penn State. This is a kid where I feel like the combine alone isn't going to do it, but a strong combine might move him up in the second round. Where mm-hmm. right now, to me, he always fluctuates. Like, is he 40? Is he going to be later than 40? Is he going to be like 35? Because any team could take him and be like, man, he could be our backup point guard in the NBA. He's not going to be your starter, but he can develop into a nice backup point guard for you when your starter needs to come off and get some minutes on the bench. The second guy I'm looking at is Justin Jackson. And now maybe Maryland fans out there can tell me if he's signed an agent, haven't seen anything if he has or hasn't. He's an interesting one because if he hasn't signed an agent, he might come back maybe this year because he was Mm -hmm. injured most of this year. With an injury, so he missed most of the right or all the regular season pretty much. And he's one that kind of like Michael Porter Jr., if he can kind of show that, hey, I'm coming back from this injury, can kind of improve his stock within the second round. And the other one, and this is the guy I'm most excited for in the second round, Javon Carter. Justin Jackson did sign. Okay, so he is going to be coming out, so you don't have to worry about him going back. So he needs to prove, kind of like Michael Porter, that he's good from that injury. Then Javon Carter, because to me, it's the one thing he was known for in school was defense. What else are you going to bring to the table? Are you going to bring a little bit of a shot at the NBA? How are you going to do in that shooting drill? How do you do in the strength drill? Because when you're a defensive guy, I want you to be a strong guy, especially a guy who will be being playing on the poster, kind of wing post at the forward position. Mm -hmm. And he's a guy that I think could improve his second-round stock, maybe be a first or second pick in the second round if he has a really good combine. Last thing I'll ask you, and we're getting really close to the end, who's the one player that needs a phenomenal team interview? Team interview? Team interview. Like a team interviews him, he needs to knock it out of the park. That's that's a tough one. Um, first off, you didn't, you didn't prep me for this question, Ricky. So uh, I tried. Team, like, are you saying, like, I don't know. Like Grayson Allen would. Be I don't one. think Grayson Allen needs like a great team he interview. could be an answer that you could um, use. I would probably say DeAnthony Melton with the whole FBI investigation. Okay, just kind of breaking that down. What's going on? What's happening? 
Um, and then also, you know, you didn't play for the past year. What have you been doing? What have you been improving? Mm-hmm. I think Mitchell Robinson also falls into that as he's well. Who, just he's because, exactly who I was going to say. Just because, you know, explain your reasoning. What, what happened with doing? Western Kentucky and that whole thing? Um, yeah, or not even Western Kentucky, but like, why do you want to be in the NBA? Yeah. What have you been doing to improve yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the Western Kentucky questions are too important because, again, he wasn't really he was he wasn't he wasn't really saying like, hey, I need to go to college. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really on the on board at all and settled for Western Kentucky because. They were like, oh, we'll take a five-star recruit. If you leave, you leave. But hey, you know, if you want to come play for us, we'll come. We'll let you come play. We're you know, like Coach K is like, you need to give me a a for sure answer. So I think uh, Mitchell Robinson and Anthony Simmons probably are the two guys, just because mm-hmm. they are high schoolers. Yeah. Show your maturity level. Show what you can. You know, tell us what you've gone through over the past years. No, to me, definitely Mitchell Robinson is a guy where it's like, hey, you know what? We're thinking about taking you in the first. Let me know, like, answer my questions. Basically, it's one of those where it's like, make me feel confident that I'm picking you at the right spot here in the NBA draft. Camera's dead. You're seeing our logo. But before we end things and move on, any final things you want to mention about the combine? No, not really. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. better ball out, though. We almost went a full 30 minutes on the NBA combine. So let us know what you guys think down below. In the comment section, who needs to ball out at the Combine? Who are you looking at? What kind of players are you thinking are going to play well, aren't going to play well? And if it even matters in your mind how they do at the Combine, let us know in that comment section. Let's move on, though, into our next topic and what we're looking at. Still staying NBA draft, but we're looking at the Wangs. And the one thing that we're looking at is not just who's the best wing in the NBA draft, because I think... It's pretty unanimous. It's Michael Porter Jr. No matter who it is, he's going to be the best wing or the top wing off the board. Go ahead, Sean. Can I make an argument? Sure, because the topic is who's going to be the best wing. I put besides Michael Porter Jr. because I feel like everyone's assuming he's going to be the first wing off the board. Can I say that he's not a wing? He's a okay. four in the NBA. Okay, like, you can say that. Again, unless he comes in, it comes out and changed my mind. Mm-hmm. And it, it, as a 6'11 prospect, I've known we've seen players of the, his yeah. size and caliber play the wing before. Mm-hmm. But if you saw him in the NCAA tournament, if you mm-hmm. saw him in that one SEC game, he does not have the mobility to play and guard threes. Yeah. He does not have the ability to drive and attack. He was playing exactly like a stretch four does mm-hmm. in the NBA today. So I don't know. Again, this is based on if he doesn't come back and isn't a fluid athlete mm-hmm. in the combine. This back injury is not anything to mess with. If he doesn't come back and look fluid like he did in high school, I don't think he can play the three in the NBA, and he's going to be a four and possibly a stretch four in the NBA. Well, and the good thing about this topic is we are excluding him from the discussion That's no matter true. what. But because, I just want to throw yeah, that out there because I, I don't even know if he's the best wing prospect. He exactly. might be a wing. And the thing is, if you don't think he's a wing, you think he's a four. Or if you think he is a wing and he is the best wing, we're excluding him because he's. most people have him off the board first if they see him as a small forward prospect. So basically, the three that we're looking at, Mikhail Bridges, Miles Bridges, Kevin Knox. These are kind of like the Mm -hmm. next three that are for the wing category. Some people might put uh, Zaire Smith there, depending on if you see him as a guard or if you see him as a forward. So Mm -hmm. if you want to say Zaire Smith, I will let you say it, but I will let you go first, Sean. Who's the best wing in this draft? Out of those three... Or out of anyone, if I, you think there's one better than Well, I, I think those are the three guys that, yeah. that are for sure in there. It's, it's just really where would you rank them. Um, and then I think Zaire Smith is four. Um, mm-hmm. But out of those three, and I've said it on the Fast Break podcast, 
Uh, Mikhail Bridges is the safest. Kevin Knox has the highest floor, but it's the biggest project. And Miles Bridges has the ability to be a, a, a star, but his you know probably floor is a bench mm-hmm. player. So Mikhail, I see him being a starter in the NBA for the next ten years at least. Like this, this guy has the makeup of being a starter, um, but I don't know if he has the makeup of being a star. Miles Bridges has the makeup of being a star, but he needs to put a lot of work into his shot. He needs to put a, work, a lot of work into um, expanding his offensive game, mm-hmm. and he needs to put in some effort at least in the gym, filling himself out. Because again, he—I he, don't want to say any, any person is you know fat or overweight. Because again, hey, look at me. No, no, look uh, at myself. But two seventy. But, but I think today. I think I think Miles is a guy that could could do with at least adding more muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that would benefit his game just because it does look like he's getting tired a lot on the floor. It doesn't look like he can play, you know, maybe 30 minutes in the NBA. Again, we don't know. I don't know exactly how he's going to translate to the NBA, but at least what I saw out of college, mm-hmm. I think he needs to at least, at least you know, go into a fitness program. And, and maybe being a, around NBA trainers and everything will help him do that. Um, but if he's able to put in that work, I think he has the ability to be a star mm-hmm. in the NBA. And then Kevin Knox, he could be anywhere of a guy that's out of the league in five years, or he could be a guy that, again, is a star or at least a starter like Mikael Bridges over the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. One of our commenters compared him to Tobias Harris. Yeah. Um, I think that could be a very apt comparison mm-hmm. to uh, or, or for uh, Kevin Knox. So if I'm going to say which one's the best I would have to go with the safest, which is Mikhail Bridges, because I know that guy's going to be a starter in the NBA for the next 10 years. Yeah, and that's the same one that I was kind of going to lean towards the start. Like, And the whole thing of when I first came up with this topic, I'm like, oh, it's going to be great. Brandon's going to be here. I want to get his thought on it because the whole thing was you kind of sparked this topic in my head because the whole thing on our mock draft segments that we've kind of talked about is, yeah, Mikhail has been the kind of if de facto He's been the first wing off the board besides mm-hmm. Michael Porter Jr. If you think he is a wing, yeah. But recently, like the Knicks segment, and then in our mock draft, there's a little been a little bit of a challenge of is Kevin Knox the guy that could go ahead of Mikhail Bridges? And I mean, looking back at my last big board, which this will change when we get to May 21st, but how I had these guys ranked out was Mikhail Bridges was first on my big or first out of the wings at my big board at eight. Miles Bridges was at 10, Kevin Knox was at 11. So right now, I'm kind of sitting the same way of if I am taking any of these guys first and foremost, it's Mikhail Bridges. Yes, he's the oldest one where some people might say, hey, you know what, he's a few years older than Kevin Knox, about three years older than Kevin Knox, but he's only a year, not even older than Miles Bridges. But he's a guy to me that fits a mold of what you need in this NBA. And I know I've said the whole time when it comes to Mikhail Bridges is I've used a name like Clay Thompson. And the reason why I say that is he going to come out and be exactly Clay Thompson, that's who he is. No, but he can do similar things for a team. He can be a guy defensively that if you improve him in the NBA could develop to be a guy that can lock down a number one on another team. He can also be a guy that is really deadly from three and have a good three-point percentage. When I look at the other two, though, that's where my question lies, is who is then the next one behind Mikhail Bridges? Is it Miles Bridges? Because to me, he did take a step back draft-wise. Yeah. In Like last year, we were all over well, Miles Bridges, always a top-ten pick. This year, I'm not quite sure. Well, I think that's just because he didn't have a worse year. Mm-hmm. He just he was a 
freshman, and we expected and, a bigger growth. And, that's what and, I'm he, saying. and like, he was pretty much the same player. Draft wise, yeah. he took a step back. Draft wise, but it wasn't anything that we saw out yeah. of his game. It wasn't it's just like that he there's took, younger. Oh, it's not like oh he yeah. regressed well, huge. There's just younger players yeah. that are that mm-hmm. have higher potentials, and um, that's why I don't know if Kevin Knox is like. That's my question: is who's number two between Bridges and Knox? Well, well th- Miles and Knox. I think it's dependent on the team. And mm-hmm. real quick, I'm, I'm now looking at more pictures of Miles Bridges because I'm trying to <laughs> like I, I I never would want to say that about mm-hmm. a player. And then there's some pictures where he looks absolutely juiced. Well, he is like the, absolutely ripped out of his he mind. He does have the most poundage out of any of them. 210 for Mikhail Bridges, 230 for Miles, and then 206 for Kevin. He's a big dude. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's a big dude. And there's some pictures where he ab- looks absolutely ripped. Mm-hmm. Like his arms are, are jacked. But then I go back to the game that he had, uh, it was a Syracuse. Mm-hmm. There, it, it just looks like he doesn't have the gas. I'll use that. He doesn't have the gas tank. I don't want to say yeah. that he doesn't have it. Uh, I don't know if he has the gas tank to play in the NBA um, right now. Again, he's only, what, 21 mm-hmm. years old, 20 years old. Um, so, I don't know. I just felt bad about saying that. Uh, so, I just want well, to re- 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 reprimand that. And but, the thing, I just want to jump in, the thing yeah. that might make you think that is because you look at it, whereas it's funny where Kevin Knox is the tallest out of the three at 6'9". You would think that, oh, the taller player going to carry a little bit more weight and still look fine, but he's got the least weight. Well, he's at, yeah, that too. Whereas Miles Bridges and Mikhail Bridges, same height at 6'7", but Mikhail is 20 pounds less. Mikhail's maybe that's a, a little bit it. Mikhail's a stick. Yeah. I mean, maybe but, that's a little bit too where it's well, like, hey, they're the same height, and maybe it's like, ah, Mikhail's 20 pounds less. That's what you well, want to see out of Miles. I think it's just one thing Miles. where Miles, Miles always had an NBA body, mm-hmm. but I, but then watching games where he was getting tired, then I question, all right, what's underneath that shirt? Yeah. Um, that sounds a little... Uh, maybe <laughs> are, you hi- are you hiding a little bit of a gut, basically? Yeah, but I, but then again, I looked at his arm. I, like, mm-hmm. I was looking at his pictures. This sounds super... Whatever. Um, stamina questions. It's stamina questions. Yeah. It's about the gas tank. My question... I, I, but it, it's, <laughs> just, it's just a wonderment about, like, is mm-hmm. that something that, again, if I'm having questions about his ga- gas tank, is that reflective on how is he taking care of his body? Which Especially was, is, if is you a, expect, to be him, or expect him to be a number one mm-hmm. on your team eventually. Is that a question about his diet? Is that mm-hmm. a question just about how he's taking care of himself? Yep. Or is that just laziness? Mm-hmm. Um, again, I can't... I just feel like I'm not an expert to talk about mm-hmm. this because of what I look like. Um, yeah. Being a pasty white, thin as... But at the same as, time, you know, we're not NBA prospects. Like, I'll bring Mo Bamba into the discussion when he was on the jump. And he was like, yeah, the thing I really like now is he's like, college was really like, hey, I got practice here, but I also got to focus on this paper mm-hmm. to write and get it turned in at 10 a.m. the next morning where he's like, right now... I'm just kind of studying myself and studying my body and, like, what goes into my body, yeah. making sure I'm in the right health. And if – I'm not saying I don't know Miles Bridges personally, but if he's not taking it to that that degree, is that then a negative for an NBA team, especially with how much players check what goes into their bodies each and every day now? Yeah, I think that's going to be dependent, again, on, uh, you know – talking to teams mm-hmm. and then obviously the seeing, seeing what he looks like. Yeah, seeing what he looks like um, at the Combine. Um, I, I just worry about his gas tank. That's mm-hmm. that's all I'll leave it to and we'll get off that, that, that question. Mm-hmm. And then going to the question between uh, Kevin Knox and, and Miles, Miles is at least going to be able to, you know, maybe he'll need a year to get acclimated to the NBA, but I still think that he's going to be able to contribute a little bit um, in his first year. Um, and then in that second year, that's where you're going to start to see his progression and see if he can play in the NBA. Where Kevin Knox, I think it's going to be maybe two, three, four years mm-hmm. of getting acclimated, 
getting weight on his body, um, developing his offensive game, becoming a part of the system before he starts saying, like, before we start able to judge on where he is in an NBA prospect. I think he's he's similar to Frank Nikitalina from last year's draft, where, you know, obviously one's international, one's coming out of Kentucky, but I think Kevin Knox is going to need to go through more of that development mm-hmm. um, and, and need time before you start analyzing who he is, where Miles Bridges could be like that Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah. Uh, guy, where all right, he's acclimated to the NBA, now we're going to see what Dennis Smith Jr. can do next year. Um, and I think that's where Miles is going to be. So I think that's going to be the biggest uh, question of, of them. I, I would still put Miles over Kevin Knox, um, but I think it's more team fit dependent mm-hmm. and i would probably say my the, the the gap between mikhail and miles is larger between the gap of uh miles and kevin just because if a team's able to take on a project mm-hmm. kevin knox might have a higher like a floor new year or, new sorry, York a higher ceiling that we've talked about in the past where like the knicks yeah. could be a team that takes on a project well, especially with kp being yeah. out if, he, mm-hmm. if kp's gonna be out that's pretty much writing you off mm-hmm. for the playoffs next year. Yeah. Maybe David Fisdale can work some magic out of mm-hmm. this team, but most likely if your star is going to be off the team in Kristaps Porzingis, a team like the Knicks could definitely come out and, and take a guy like Kevin Knox because they're going to have a year just to mm-hmm. you know work on him. So with Kevin Knox, we'll just say that he's the project player out of the three. Yeah, big When team. it comes to the other, so now we're going to compare Bridges to Bridges. To me, it comes down also, for me, Miles or Mikhail Bridges again is my number one. But that's because, to me, it's what do you want from a player on your NBA team? To me, I want a guy who's going to be not like what, think of Game of Zones, Mm -hmm. where it's, hey, Terrence, what are you? Oh, I don't know. I'm a pretty good 3 and D player. I don't want a pretty good. I want a phenomenal 3 and D player. And that's what I see as the potential up for Mikael Bridges. He could be the one of the best 3 and D players in the league. However, what do you want? Do you want that? Or do you want a guy like Miles Bridges who, yeah, he's 6'7", just like McHale, but he did average more rebounds in college than McHale did? Well, I don't think that that has too much to do with Well, he's more of like, McHale's not going to be a guy that I'm going to go and grab eight rebounds per game, where Miles Bridges could be that guy that goes and grabs you seven, eight rebounds per game, but isn't going to be that 3 and D player like McHale Bridges is. I mean, the rebounds isn't why I'm drafting this player, though. Mm-hmm. I'm drafting him because he's, a, again, like you said, a, th- a fantastic 3-and-D player. No, I'm saying Miles is the rebounder. Yeah, I don't care about the rebounds. Yeah. What I'm saying about with these players, like, mm-hmm. I don't, if Mikhail doesn't grab a rebound, I don't care. If he's shutting down players, yeah. that's all I give a sh- You know, that's all I care about. But if you're a team that, hey, we don't need that 3-and-D well, player, let's what, go grab I a think, guy who can grab some boards and score points. I, well, as a 3, though, I mean, you want your 5s and 4s grabbing mm-hmm. the boards. I mean, you know, I, I think LeBron James is kind of, Change that idea of what three should be well, doing because he's everything. so yeah because he's so versatile. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like you know, Paul George isn't a guy that's grabbing boards, at, you know, a ton of boards at that at that three position. Yeah. So again, I don't really need that on my three. I think what it's looking at is if you have a star on your team, you're taking Mikhail Bridges mm-hmm. because you look at this team and uh, you look at this draft, and a lot of these teams already do have stars. Phoenix has Devin Booker. Memphis has Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol. You don't really need a guy to be a number one on that team right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe Memphis will be looking further ahead, but you don't need a number one on that team right now. You look at Dallas. Dallas just drafted their star in Dennis Smith Jr. So you could take a guy like Mikael Bridges. Mm-hmm. Atlanta needs a star. That's where maybe again, if they drastically fall um, somehow, they won't. Uh, you know, out of the, <laughs> out of the fifth spot or the sixth spot, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, maybe they take a, a Miles Bridges, but if McHale's off the board, then, you know, like it really is dependent on do you want a one or do you want a guy that's going to be a starter for the next mm-hmm. ten years? And teams with already ones on their team, Phoenix, Memphis, Dallas, um, you, you know, probably Cleveland too. Um, I think they'd look more to that McHale side where you know Miles would fall in because hey, maybe we could take a shot on this kid. He has the leadership ability. Mm-hmm. He was taking big shots um, at Michigan State. He consistently was uh, you know the centerpiece of that that team uh, for the Spartans for the past two years. We saw that ability in college. He has the scoring. He has the shot. Um, as long as he's able to develop his game a little bit more, at least attacking the basket, then he could you know be a number one. Star where Mikhail is a, again a safer pick, and if you already have a number one, you don't need a guy like Miles. Br- or you don't need a guy like uh, yeah, you don't need a guy like Miles Bridges. You need a Mikhail Bridges in this NBA. Well, and the thing that I'm kind of all right, I'm looking at something right here, and I'm something just kind of clicked in my head, yeah. and I'm going to see if this comparison will work. And I'm going to use career numbers in the NBA for this. So I'm going to give you two players, and this is completely off the cuff. I have not prepped this. No. I just hit it in my head. So I'm going to give you two guys' numbers. Nothing beats blind resumes completely blind. <laughs> and I guess completely I blind. Down. And I'm uh, going in blind as this as well. So I will give you first player one. So this is going to be um, his stats are going to be per 36 because he's a ro- he's going to be a rookie coming in this year. So 19.6 points per game, eight boards per game. 3.1 assists per game, shoots 54% from the field, 36 from three, 85 from the free throw line. He's seven, he's six, seven. Player B, these are career numbers for him because he is currently an NBA pro. So this is NBA numbers? Yeah. 24 points per game. And this is not per 36? No, this is just his career average. Okay, 24 points per game? Um, 6.5 rebounds per game. Three assists per game. Um, he shoots 44% from the field. He shoots 34% from three. He's an 81% um, free throw free throw shooter. He is 6'8". Yeah, 81. He's 6'8". Can I guess the players? Yeah, go ahead. Well, um, the, the weights also. Player A is 230. Player B is 240. Well, I'm guessing the college players... Miles. It's Miles Bridges. And I'm guessing the NBA player is Rudy Gay. No. Damn. Do you want to do you want a hint or do you want to keep guessing? How long how long has he played in the is he current? He came in 2003. Current? Yeah. Carmelo. Carmelo Anthony. Okay. And going through those numbers except for maybe the career like and I get they're different but I mean yeah. the except for the points per game, the rebounds, the assists, even the percentage, I like, think you're... I just thought to myself, looking at Bridges and looking at the numbers, I go, kind of reminds me, like, you're, could he just be, like, you're comparing, a lesser mellow? You're comparing him to New York mellow. That's what you're comparing him to. Not because, Denver mellow. Not Denver mellow. Because no. Because Denver mellow was Jason Tatum, and it was clear mm-hmm. as day. Yeah. Because that, that boy, Carmelo's quickness back in the day was unreal. Can we say that, though, that maybe is Miles, is Miles Bridges' best? New York Mellow. No, because New York Mellow is a dynamic scorer, and you mm-hmm. can't say that about Miles Bridges right now. And, you know, Carmelo was or making New- money down or in the New post. New York Mellow light? Could we make that comparison at all? If you're, uh, or am I reaching for straws I, I, by thinking that? Are reaching for straws? Because I'm like, you know totally what? Totally reaching I'm like, for the straws. body is similar. Yeah, Mellow's got an inch. The body's on, similar. Like no, the, you're, you're the right body's on the body. similar, you're right and then, the like, body. 
maybe it's me just thinking about the stats in my head, but I'm like, you know what? Like, Mello wasn't a huge rebounder, and really, uh, the per 34. I mean, 6.5 is pretty decent. Yeah, but, I mean, the 8 that I know it's projected for Miles Bridges, but that's not going to be, he's not going to get 8 per game. That's different. When you're a great athlete, when you can jump out of the roof, you're going to out-rebound everybody. Mm -hmm. But even the shooting percentages were similar. I mean, really, Mello's were a little bit better, I want to say, from the field overall, but it's just something that hit me as we were talking is, huh, he kind of like looks the part and the stats might be there. Maybe I'm reaching for straws here, but that's just a thought that came to my head. I think Am a I little completely bit. crazy? Yeah, I think <laughs> like I, I, I don't know. Again, like the thing is, is I think you can weirdly enough compare Miles Bridges and Kevin Knox both mm-hmm. to Tobias Harris. Okay. Because again, similar body right there. Mm-hmm. They have similar games. Um, it's just I, I think that Miles again is more finished now, mm-hmm. but how how where will he end up? Um, you know, in, in his career, like will he put that extra work in? Mm-hmm. And then with Kevin Knox, you have skin and bones right now, and he could work his way up to that level. Um, and you're pretty much molding him to your own system. You're you're, you're taking a younger kid. Um, you're taking a more athletic kid as well. Um, so maybe maybe again, I'll I'll, I'll kind of bring that in. Maybe mm-hmm. Kevin Knox at his Massive peak at his at his highest peak, mm-hmm. he could be Carmelo Anthony. Okay. All right, um, but I think his like you know probably at least fair ceiling would be a Tobias Harris. Like Le- him hitting Carmelo would be like a ninety nine mm-hmm. a one percent chance of happening. Last question I'll ask, and maybe yeah. we should have talked about this in the first segment, but I'll throw it out here: taking Mikhail out of it because I think that no, no matter what he does at the combine, it ain't gonna hurt him drastically or help him amazingly for Kevin Knox and Miles Bridges, mainly because, like, in my big board, they were right back to back. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that Kevin Knox can do or Miles Bridges can't do to have them flip? Like, kind of like the same question we did for Colin Sexton, Shea Gilgit. Flip? No. I think Miles Bridges is going to go in. I Mm -hmm. think think the only—no, I don't think—I think the only thing, again, comes down—well— I think it depends on if it's to where team. like Kevin Knox is. Oh, now he is the second best wing in no, the draft. I don't think. I don't think he's going to have a performance like that where mm-hmm. it's it's going to make him flip over Miles. Because again, you're not taking in just the combine; you're taking in the yeah. body of work. Uh, Kevin Knox. It's also we get again, the official measurements yeah, too. Ke- Kevin also in the first half of, uh, of Kentucky was great, and then mm-hmm. he started to you know little you know kind of lose some gas mm-hmm. um, near the end, where Miles was very consistent over his his first two years at Michigan State. You're taking in the, that whole body of work. Um, I think the one thing that could possibly flip it though is if Kevin Knox absolutely kills it in the in, in the interviews mm-hmm. and then goes out and has great solo workouts where people say, "Oh wow, we see a ton of potential in this kid." And I think yeah. that's what it's going to be more about. Maybe you could show that in the combine, but I think it's going to be more when people start to get to talk to him, get to know with know mm-hmm. know him, you know, and start to understand him, where they start seeing that potential because hey, this kid has an unreal work ethic that won't quit. He has a great killer mentality. We think that we can take his body, his athleticism, and you know make him a great NBA player because mm-hmm. they've either had you know work with him before or you know, work with a player like him before, uh, you know, or something along the lines. Like maybe maybe the Clippers see you know if Miles and Kevin Knox are still on the board, they see hey, well we think that he can become Tobias Harris. 
Tobias Harris is already on our team. Yeah. Why wouldn't we just pair him up? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that could possibly be a thing where it, it, he he's going to really probably separate himself in team interviews and then also uh, solo workouts. I mean, especially if they uh, look at my article and they trade Tobias for Kawhi Leonard. Can I throw something out? Well, <laughs> Go ahead. that's different, though, because they're losing their two picks and yeah, Kevin Knox might yeah, not be exactly. available at 18. Well, they can probably—nah, you're right. He won't um, be there at 18. The one guy that could <laughs> possibly jump Kevin Knox, uh-huh. though— is Zaire Smith? Combine is Zaire Smith because this okay. kid's a freak athlete. Do you think he will? Do you think that come draft day, because of the maybe because not because of the combine, but with the combine's help, we're looking at Smith. Maybe mock draft our next one for the fast break. Are we looking at Zaire Smith as being drafted above Kevin Knox? Like look into the crystal ball. What do you say? Are we saying we as, as yeah? Ever, we'll all say of us? we'll say our mock draft here at MVP. Conce- our next mock we don't draft. have a consensus mock draft though. Or the big board. If you think like, do you think on maybe minor Brandon Zaire Smith jumps to yeah, Kevin Knox? I think so. Okay, I think he could. For sure. And I think already Zaire Smith, in Dave's mind, is better than Kevin Knox, I think. Yeah. Well, he um, had him top 10, I believe. Well, in... I think that was because of a Philly fit, because mm-hmm. of potential, because Zaire has more potential in Dave's mind uh, than Kevin Knox. So mm-hmm. I think I think Zaire, in, in you know, some people's mind, if he balls out of the combine, could totally jump Kevin Knox. And, I mean, I'm looking at our big board. I think it was early. I think it was right after the tournament is when we did it. He was neither in... N- neither of our top 25s for mm. Brandon and I. But that was also one where, um, like, Gafford's not going to be in there anymore because he's going back to yeah. um, school. I think Troy Brown might fall out. Raleigh Atkins might fall out. So there's going to be some shakeup, especially in the big boards. But any final thoughts before we move on to some college football? Uh, Michael Porter Jr. isn't a wing. Okay. He's a four in Sean's mind. He's a four. He's a four. Unless, unless I he see comes him as healthy. a wing. Unless he unless he's unless healthy, he's hundred percent healthy in your mind. Yeah, I don't see I don't see the quickness to play three. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you guys think. Outside of Michael Porter Jr., who's the best wing in this draft? Is it Mikhail Bridges, Miles Bridges, Zaire Smith? Is it Kevin Knotts? Let us know who you guys got down below in the comment section. But Sean, let's close out the podcast. Going away from the NBA, going away from college basketball. We're moving a little bit. Gradually, we're going back into college football here. For the Primetime Podcast, it will be not too much longer. We got the rest of May, and then come June, Brandon and I are already previewing college football teams going all the way. And that will take us from June to August, and then August, the season starts, and we're basically in full swing. But last week, we kind of looked at two teams, Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. Should he be on the hot seat? We kind of looked at expectations for Jimbo Fisher. This was one we were going to talk about last week. It got shelved. We're now talking about it this week. And basically, we're taking a look at the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And can Scott Frost turn around this, I almost said Alabama, this Nebraska team this season? And before we get into anything, I've got to throw this out because Brandon A would be upset if I didn't. And Mm -hmm. two, I brought this to the table just for him. There's an article, apparently, that uh, Scott Frost does not believe that Central Florida should be national champions, where he said, and I quote, I completely get behind their argument. I do think it was almost criminal how low they kept UCF in the rankings, and I think it was intentional. But at the end of the day, the playoff system is that the national champion is the team that wins the playoff, end quote. So I thought Brandon would like that because he's always bashing the Golden Knights for claiming themselves national champions. But... Looking at Scott Frost now in redder pastures at his alma mater of Nebraska, 
I'll ask you, Bo Pelini's no longer there, hasn't been there for a while. Coach Riley's not there. Can Scott Frost turn around Nebraska this season, or is it going to be a Tom Herman where it's going to be a process and year one might be a little shaky? This year, I don't think—I mean, it depends on what you think turnaround means. Mm -hmm. Will they have a losing record? That I think he mean you could definitely see Scott Frost turn them around um, this year. I think again we saw what he did with an zero and eight UCF team mm-hmm. um, and turn them into a six and seven team that actually made a bowl the next year. Um, and that was with I think very little recruits. He was able to take a team with mm-hmm. you know pretty much the bones, just the draft, the the, the recruits of Georgia Leary, or, uh, yeah Georgia Leary, and turn them into a near five hundred team. Uh, I think that that's possible this year. Um, I think you can probably get back to 500 if you're the uh, Nebraska Cornhuskers. Um, I couldn't tell you the last time they were uh, 500, uh, but it's felt like it felt like a while. I know they were in a couple mm-hmm. bowl games. I think they had uh, nine wins a couple years ago. They haven't been to a bowl game since 2016, um, and they haven't won 10 games in a season since 2012. Okay. So that since I graduated right, yeah. college, they have not won 10 games in a season. So I don't think they're going to you know break that streak of not winning mm-hmm. 10 games since 2012. However, I do think that Scott Frost could possibly – Make some noise and at least win, you know, maybe mm-hmm. five or so. You know, it will probably I'll say six games. I think he can yeah. win six or seven games this year, just because I think he's able to bring a, a, a at least a culture that kids are able to buy in. Mm-hmm. And then once he also, you know, is able to bring in recruits, you know, have a full season of recruiting, um, you know, work on these players that are up and coming. Um, he has a couple seniors on this team that could, you know, make some noise as well. Um, I think that Scott Frost could definitely at least turn them in the right direction and not have them go four and eight, three and nine, and have them be a laughing stock of the Big Ten again. Well, and that's the thing that I look at is I think that with Scott Frost, you can look at what he did at UCF and translate that over to where the best thing about Scott Frost is he's a guy that can come into a situation and make a team. Kind of, it might take a year to do it because you know, 2016 UCF did go six and seven, four and four in conference. But like you said, this was a team in 2015 that won zero games. Mm-hmm. So winning six games was a huge win for them. Although they lost their bowl game, and that's why they finished with a losing record overall. This Nebraska team, though, that's the thing it's got to start with is. The kind of the culture around it. Can he come in and it looks like already in spring that he is setting a culture that he wants for Nebraska? And I mean, the article that ESPN has where they wrote about it, um, one of the four star recruits that came in out of California who they said underachieved in his two seasons at Nebraska said, I mean, it's kind of up to us to be on the same page. So he's kind of coming in. And, yeah, he's bringing an energy to this team early on, but Scott Frost is also a guy that it's accountability on the players as well, where it's like, hey, I'm not going to come in and just wave my magic wand Mm -hmm. and, boom, make us a six-win team year one. Like, they're going to have to put in the work in order for this thing to pay out. The only question is, is he going to have the talent year one to be able to do that? Because one of the big things that helped him at – UCF was, especially this past year, it's not like one player changes at all, but the story like with Shaquem Griffin, where it's like, hey, the old regime didn't even use you. Scott Frost comes in and use, uses you, and look at what you 
develop into. Well, and also look at how many pros have come out of UCF, mm-hmm. at least defensively, over yeah. the past couple of years. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I mean, Shaquem, obviously an example. Uh, Mike Hughes just got picked up by yep. the Vikings as well. Mm-hmm. Shaquem's brother uh, picked up by the Seahawks. I mean, they're returning out NFL mm-hmm. pros under the Scott Frost in such a small time that he was there. So, yeah. I mean, like, again, the talent was there on that team, and Nebraska still was able to bang, bring in recruits. Mike mm-hmm. Riley didn't do a horrible job recruiting. I mean, no. they weren't didn't have, like, top draft classes or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, they still had talent on their team, and I think Scott Frost does the best of bringing talent, at least I think better than Mike Riley does, uh, bringing talent out of these players, out of the, out of, out of mm-hmm. these guys that have been recruited. Um, I think the biggest question, though, for Scott Frost, I know Big Ten, you don't really need great quarterback play, but having great quarterback play is definitely going to help uh, You know, Scott Frost eases at least worries a bit. And they don't have a guy that's taking snaps in college on their roster right now. They have four mm-hmm. quarterbacks currently rostered. None of them have played snaps. Uh, one's a redshirt freshman. One's a uh, recently uh, uh, committed freshman. Uh, then they have, I think, a sophomore. I think they have two sophomores after that. Um, and Patrick O'Brien, one of them, just transferred out as well. So they don't mm-hmm. have uh, an answer at the quarterback right now. I think ultimately you're probably going to have a freshman starting as well because the guy that really stands out to me is this kid from Fresno, California, Adrian Martinez. Um, 6'2", 205, um, was ranked 56 in the ESPN 300. Um, he's a pocket passer, um, also seems to have a little bit of athletic ability where he might be dangerous on the feet. And having some wide receiver help on the outside in a stud um, in 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 uh, the senior Stanley Morgan, and then also uh, JD Spielman, who is the son of Rick Spielman, yep. uh, your your buddy in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I think this could possibly. You're trying to bring this back full circle yeah. with like all the I, Viking references. I think that this could be. Uh, <laughs> no, Stefan Dix was Maryland. I think this could be uh, again Still Big Ten. A, a part of the offense that Scott Frost can at least lean on, um, and you know, bringing so many guys from UCF. Um, I think they can lean on. Um, at least that part of the the offense, and, and maybe get something good out of this freshman quarterback. Um, and again, they have weapons on the outside as well. Um, and then defensively, I'm not too worried because Scott Frost knows his defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I, I know he, I think he was uh, he was a, he was a quarterback at uh, at Nebraska, but he was transferred over as a third round draft pick as a safety and has been mainly uh, a defensive uh, guy throughout his career uh, coaching. So I think Scott Frost um, coming in uh, with his uh, with his background. Defensively, I think he could probably turn this Nebraska defense around. And as long as Adrian Martinez is able to do enough, I think they can get six to seven wins this year. Well, and the one thing that Nebraska hasn't had to deal with since I'm going to start with Bo Pelini. Mm-hmm. They have, since Bo Pelini up until now, guess how many starting quarterbacks they have had? Since Bo Pelini? Since Bo, so since 2008, how many guys have they had start from 2008? Well, basically nine seasons almost. Okay. Well, nine. Mm-hmm. Plus seven, sixteen. Sixteen quarterbacks in nine seasons. Yeah, four, four starters. They. Had, I, I don't know how bad they were. No, they like. I didn't is, know if they were like circling out and getting no, injured. No, this is a situation where Nebraska saying. has. So, two thousand eight, when Bo Pelini came in, <laughs> you such had a shitty guess. Yeah, you had Joe. <laughs> yeah, sixteen quarterbacks. They had Illinois hometown guy. Joe Gans, I was in graduating high school, did not follow Nebraska football when Joe Gans was the quarterback. Then the next year, Zach Lee was their main starter. He He started that year, got benched in 2010 because here's the big thing. From 2010 to 2013, that's the guy. Taylor Martinez. Taylor Martinez. And then from basically 2013 to 2016, 
you had Tommy Armstrong Jr. Mm-hmm. So for that gap of time, those are the only four guys that made starts. Exactly, like they were the main. Well, they were the main passing leaders. They took most of the snaps okay. in their four years. Now maybe sixteen doesn't look too bad because you're, you're just you're just going off stats here. All right? yeah. How many games did these guys start, Ricky Wimmer? That's the question. They are now, the ones where I'll have to look into that one. But those were like, especially for yeah. the last two, when you go from Taylor Martinez into Tommy Armstrong Jr. Like, you don't really have a question at quarterback. Mm-hmm. This is the first year in a long time where Nebraska, to me, has had a question at what are they going to do at quarterback. I mean, even then they haven't had great quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. I mean, Taylor Martinez was a good quarterback. Yeah. I would say Taylor Martinez was a great quarterback. Let's see, Taylor uh, Martinez he looks great. was there. He looks great compared to all the other guys. That Let's see, named. 2010 to 2013 is when Taylor Martinez was there. 2010, mm-hmm. they went 10-4, and four, lost in the Holiday Bowl to Washington. 2011, they went 9-4. and four. That was third in the Big Ten Legends, first year for the Legends. They lost in their bowl game to South Carolina. Um, 2012, they went 12-4, and four, finished first of their side in the Legends, lost to Georgia in their bowl game. And then 2013, his last year, 9-4, and four, tied for second in their division. They won their bowl game against Georgia. Yeah. So, I mean, take it as you will, where, yeah, they were winning 10-9 games, but... They were losing the ball game, and they weren't getting to like the New Year Sixes. It was ca- or the big New Year Sixes. It was two years of the Holiday Bowl, two years of the Capital One Bowl. Well, I think a big thing too. I mean, even, even going back to Taylor Martinez, mm-hmm. I mean, they haven't a, a massive run game last year. They didn't have a 500 no. yard rusher, um, let alone a thousand yard rusher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you look back at the Taylor Martinez days. Rex, Rex Burkhead, NFL pro, Amir Abdullah. An okay NFL pro, mm-hmm. um, you know. I mean, like they've had they've had guys who were able to contribute to their run game, and they just have not had an offense in the past couple of years. Um, and, and I know Scott Frost will fix the defense, but if they're able to solve that quarterback question, it could you know cl- it could clear the way for maybe six to seven wins for this team. Do you know the last running back for Nebraska to have over a thousand yards in a season? It was twenty fourteen. Ron Dane was Wisconsin. Uh, this guy is currently in the NFL. Amir Abdullah. Amir Abdullah. He had just over 1,600 yards freak. on the ground. And he had 1,000 yards every all three I years, a, I think, that he was monster. the starter for them. And then right beforehand, like you said, Rex Burkhead, 1,000-yard mm-hmm. well, rusher for and, Nebraska. And, I mean, looking at their schedule, I mean, they're going to start off with three straight home games. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that they can go 3-0. They're playing Akron. They're playing Colorado. They're playing Troy. Toughest game in that. Colorado. Troy. Maybe. Troy was a really good program they last year. They did beat LSU last they year. They were a really good program. Mm-hmm. They've been a sleeper program. I think Troy is going to probably be the toughest game out of that one. Because Colorado they're... Colorado wasn't great last year. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, outside of Isaiah Oliver, they didn't have any you know significant NFL pros mm-hmm. on that team. And you're losing your best player in Isaiah Oliver. He was the best part of that Colorado team. I think you know you could you could possibly go three and zero with that one loss being to Troy. I think you're going to lose at Michigan. Purdue is a winnable mm-hmm. game, so I'll give you three wins right well, there. Purdue's the interesting one because that's one where Purdue fans are expecting a second step in mm-hmm. year two of Jeff Brown. But also that's at home mm-hmm. where Scott Frost in your first Big Ten home game. You got to win it. You got to win it. So mm-hmm. I think that's going. I'll give that that win to Nebraska. As much as it pains to say me, I think that they can beat Northwestern mm-hmm. um, at uh, Ryan Field, mm-hmm. and then I think they can beat Minnesota, mm-hmm. and 100% offense to you, I think they're going to beat the shit out of Illinois. Oh, you're telling me they can't beat Lovey's Gray Beard? Six. They can't beat the uh, the Lovey Gray Beard? And that, that, that levels out to six wins, because they're mm-hmm. not going to beat Iowa at Iowa. They probably aren't going to beat Michigan State. 
they're not going to beat Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to beat Wisconsin. I don't think they're going to beat Michigan. So it really depends on that Troy game, and it depends on that Northwestern game. But I think they can have no, the they, path to six or seven wins and go to a bowl game. To me, if like if you're a Nebraska fan, six and six is going to be good for you. Yeah. Um, and the reason being is, hey, you're not going to win. Like To me, look at their conference schedule. It's exactly what you said. No way you beat Michigan at the big house. Wisconsin will beat you at their house. I feel like Northwestern beat, like Ryan Field might be a toss-up. I would still maybe give that to Northwestern right now. Well, I don't know how they're going to look, though. I mean, like their quarterback's okay <laughs> with that. They just lost their leading rusher, Justin Jackson, so but it's it going to be interesting. on the road, too. So, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. That's why I'm... It's not a huge push but the also, needle, but it's it's back to back road games. Mm-hmm. So where you have that's your second mm-hmm. time going on the road, you're going to go into Camp Randall, yep. and Camp Randall compared to Ryan Field, Is that's not, that's you know going into the deep end, yeah. to a the shallow a, a kiddie pool. Um, <laughs> so I mean, pool. no offense to Northwestern fans, but you're not Camp Randall, mm-hmm. um, and you're also facing a, a worse program and in I mean, Northwestern. Like you said, no way you're winning at the Horseshoe. I don't think you win it. Well, and you got the elite of the elites yeah. in this schedule. And mm-hmm. I know Nebraska's in the West because they used to be an elite of the elite. And I think Scott Frost mm-hmm. can get them there in three years. It just again depended on how quickly are they going to well, buy into this uh, into the Scott Frost system. And that's to me where six wins like. The games that you threw out there, I totally agree, can be totally winnable. That's why the two that I'm going to like put under the microscope this year, Minnesota and Purdue. Because the, like, the thing that if we go next level on those two games, yeah, those are games that most people would expect you to win. But Purdue, like I said, many Purdue fans, and Matt's one of them, one of our patrons, Matt, he's really looking for an improved season for Jeff Brom in year two at the head of Purdue. Same thing with Minnesota. A lot of Minnesota fans Mm -hmm. are expecting P.J. Fleck to give them more wins than last year. If one of those teams comes up to play against you, basically, rah, rah, you're like, this is our World Series, this is our Super Bowl, and they beat you, then that could ruin your six-win goal because of, like we said, the Michigans, the Wisconsins, the Ohio State. Then you would have to win at Ryan Field because if you don't win that game, great. Or you have to win now at home against Michigan State because if you don't win one of those two games, now you're a 5-7 and team and not make it. Well, you might still be able to make a bowl game because of how crappy the pool has been, Mm -hmm. but you won't get an automatic lock to a bowl game. Yeah, I think that, again— Bull should be the goal mm-hmm. for eh, rhymes. Bull should be, Bull the, should goal. be the goal for, uh, for, <laughs> for for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Mm-hmm. I think, and probably best case scenario, you get seven wins. Worst case scenario, you go you go four and eight again. Yeah, this is a team that last year three and six, three and six are three and six in conference overall. They went four and eight last year. Whereas like Minnesota, I said they're expecting big things. Two and seven last year in conference. Five and seven. Overall, where Purdue was four and five, seven and six overall. So I mean, those are kind of where you are. Some people might say we're overhyping Iowa too, because last year they were a four and five team within the conference and only seven or eight and five no, so overall. Spanked the hell out of Ohio State and still At again, home, where still that's again, where Nebraska is going to yeah, be playing. Still yet. again, one hell of a team. Mm-hmm. Final game of the season, you're going to be at home. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an extremely tough game. I mean, Iowa is a team that consistently comes up and plays against mm-hmm. big opponents. So if you're coming in winning, Scott Frost's first year, you're trying to get mm-hmm. a win here 
at uh in Iowa, I forget their stadium name. Uh at Iowa, you're I mean it's going to be a tough game. They Iowa's going to I was going to give I'm you gonna a I'm going to say one. they have the best tradition now in college football. The wave? The wave to the children's hospital? Mm. That's the well, best. I feel bad saying, "Oh, yeah. yeah, you should be waving at you know patients at a children's mm-hmm. hospital." I mean, like that. I'm, I'm like Satan if I say that, but yeah. like I'm just again, like it's so overplayed on mm-hmm. social media. Like, it, like they're still playing B-roll of it, like in December, like not even December, in like April. It's like, okay, we know this happens. And like, I, come on. And I know it's a different team. I know it is, but just to give you some kind of context of how things went last year, so November fourth. Iowa beats Ohio State 55-24. The next two games, at Wisconsin, home against Purdue, they lose both of those games. They play Nebraska in Nebraska on uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Guess what the score of that game is and guess who wins? Iowa, 56-14. I know it's a different year. I know Mm -hmm. Scott Frost is there. But I could see that happening again this year, especially with it being in Iowa and depending on what we see with this Nebraska team, any final thoughts on Nebraska before we close out the podcast? Go Cornhuskers. Go Cornhuskers. Well, this is where and I miss we're you, Taylor turn, Martinez. We're going to turn it. Was he the main Nebraska guy that you remember watching? Yeah, back well, in the day? Nebraska football in my lifetime, at least my lifetime, mm-hmm. uh, has not been memorable. No, it's been to me. It's been Taylor Martinez. It's been Taylor Martinez, and it's been then Tommy Armstrong Jr. It's been ta- it's that. been Taylor Martinez and that picture of Bo Pelini holding a cat. <laughs> Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section. Will Scott Frost turn around Nebraska this season? Can he turn him around this season? What do you expect for the Cornhuskers down below in the comment section? I want to thank you guys for sticking around either for the segment or for the full podcast on podcast services around the world or on YouTube if you're listening to the full thing. A little bit of housekeeping here at the end. Number one, make sure to check out the store to get your MVP t-shirt. Check out patreon.com backslash Podcast to support the channel. And become like Matthew, who we um, referenced in this segment, who a huge Purdue fan. He will be on for our Purdue segment, our Purdue preview later this year. Crossing our fingers that that works out. Also, check out iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating. And last but not least, Most Valuable Podcast is where you're going to catch everything for MVP each and every day. want to thank you guys for watching on YouTube. want to thank Sean for filling in for Brandon this week. Of course. Want to thank you guys for fill, or watching, not filling for in. For filling in. For listening on podcast services around Please the world. Please don't sue us, Phil DeFranco. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.